Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. Good evening. Welcome to Tell Me Everything here on Sirius XM Progress. My name's Joe Sudbay. I'm guest hosting for John Fugelsang this week. I'll be here until Friday. And what a week to be guest hosting. It's August. Everything's supposed to be slow. That that is so out the window. Sure, Congress isn't in town, but let me tell you, when I say town, I mean D.C. But let me tell you, a lot is happening. A lot is happening. And guess what? We had some breaking news this afternoon. Late this afternoon, we learned that one of the witnesses in the classified documents case was identified as Trump employee number four. On July 5th, Trump employee number four informed the chief judge in D.C., Judge Boasberg, that he no longer wished to be represented by Mr. Woodward, Stan Woodward, who was a lawyer provided to him by the Trump operation. Okay? He no longer wanted to have Mr. Woodward as his lawyer because he found out that he was going to be indicted. And when he found that out, he realized he was actually in trouble. This guy's name is Yusil Tavares. He's the director of information technology at Mar-a-Lago. He informed the judge he no longer wished to be represented by the Trump employee's lawyer and was represented by a federal defender. And this is the kicker. Immediately after receiving the new counsel, this is in the document. I'm going to read this right from documents that were filed today in the district court. Immediately after receiving new counsel, Trump employee four retracted his prior false testimony and provided information that implicated Nauda de Oliveira and Trump in efforts to delete security camera footage as set forth in the superseding indictment. Remember, we got that superseding indictment a couple weeks ago. This is why. This is why. Because this witness said, I'm not going to lie anymore, and gave up his Trump-funded lawyer. Now, this may all sound familiar to all of us, you know, who watched the January 6th committee hearings. You all remember, you all remember, uh, Cassidy Hutchison testifying and 
you know, she told the January 6th committee, we all watched it, that a quote-unquote Trump world lawyer had pressured her to provide uh, misleading testimony. And this witness, witness number four, Trump witness number four, Yusuf Tavares, had provided false testimony. The uh, special prosecutor, Jack Smith's team, knew it. They were going to charge him with felonies. And he said, that's it. I am done with these lawyers. So it's quite a big development and getting a lot of attention this evening, even as, you know, today is uh, Surrenders Day down in Fulton County. There have been a number of the defendants in the indictments handed down last week by Fulton County Grand Jury um, announced by Fonnie Willis. We, she talked about it right after the announcement a week ago. It was a week ago yesterday. Um, they've set bonds for a number of the defendants. Trump's is at 200000 We set. We talked about that last night. He also had some strict conditions, which, of course, he'll violate. John Eastman actually showed up today to get arrested. His bond is $100,000. Jenna Ellis, $100,000. Ken Chesbrough, $100,000. So this is all happening. And apparently on Thursday evening, Donald Trump will make his appearance in the Fulton County Jail. But there have been so many of these uh, folks that were arrested today. Bondsman Scott Hall, he's one of the defendants. An Illinois police chaplain, Stephen Cliffgard Lee, an attorney, Bob Cheeley. Some of these, of course, were involved in the fake elector scheme. Now, Mark Meadows, he's trying to delay his surrender. He is trying to get out of this case. He's filed a, He wants his case moved to federal court. He wants the case dismissed. Mark Meadows, a former chief of staff, to Donald Trump. And um, Funny Willis, not having it. Not having it at all. He wants to have his arraignment <laughs> and arrest delayed. She set the deadline of this Friday at noon, August 25th. And uh, she wrote a letter to his lawyer. I'm not granting any extension. Your client is no different than any other criminal defendant in this jurisdiction. Fonnie Willis is not playing. And that's why so many of us love her, right? She is not messing around. This is all so serious. These cases, I mean, what's unfolding? What's going to unfold in her case? It looks like, you know, some of the witnesses are starting to come forward with information about how, you know, the Trump lawyers, it was the Trump lawyers who tried to get them to lie about the, uh, to engage in the fake elector scheme. So all of a sudden, you know, these indictments are happening, things starting to crack. This is again what happened in Jack Smith's case with the classified documents and it also kind of gives us an insight into just how much information Jack Smith has, Fonnie Willis. They're going to get more. She knew exactly what she was doing, indicting all of those folks, because some of them are going to sing. And there's a big question, of course, as to whether Mark Meadows has already started to sing. A lot of people have been examining that. A lot of people. And in Trump world, you know, Trump comes 
you know, I always say this. Trump comes from the Roy Cohn school of law, right? Roy Cohn, that disgraced creep who represented mafia figures for years. He was Trump's original lawyer. He taught Trump how to be a mob boss. He taught Trump what to do, what not to say, how to do it. This is all you see from Donald Trump is what he learned from Roy Cohn. And one of the things one of the things that they freak out the most about if you're a mob boss is someone singing, someone turning, someone turning on you and giving evidence. And, you know, it's happening. It's starting to happen. So we're going to watch this pretty closely. Later in the show, we're going to be talking to Dr. Tracy Pearson, J.D., who you, she's on the show a lot. I am so excited to get to talk to her because we get to do some law talk. I'm not, I am a lawyer. She's actually a real lawyer. And we'll dig into some of this later in the show. In the next hour, we're going to be talking to John Russell, who writes a substack called The Holler. John is terrific. He lives in Southeast Ohio. He has a video. He went to a Trump rally and talked to Trump voters. And it was interesting because we see so many reporters go and, you know, dive in and talk to, um, you know, they, they it's like, a, a, you know, an archaeological expedition from New York or D.C. out into Ohio. John's from Ohio. He works at a bar in southeastern Ohio. He, in concert with More Perfect Union, went and interviewed folks at a Trump rally. And it's really amazing. And John knew exactly what kind of questions to ask. I can't wait to dig into it with him. Uh, he's been on this show several times. Just a really smart, insightful um, observer of American politics and, you know, particularly uh, American politics from people who aren't on our side, but maybe could be. It's really fascinating. We'll dig into that. And in just a few minutes, I'm going to be talking to Brooke Bunkowski. Brooke is one of, you know, I think one of the best. She calls herself your friendly neighborhood debunker. She is someone who understands the right, understands the extreme right, understands their language. She watches them. She monitors them. And I want to talk to her about the way tomorrow night's debate is going to play out and the kind of white nationalism and fascism we expect to see on the stage. So we'll be back here on the John Fugelsang show. Tell me everything in just a few minutes. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. 
Hey everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele Podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real, and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on, because you know I love it when you do. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tell Me Everything here on SiriusXM Progress. I'm Joe Sudbay, guest hosting for John. We all know tomorrow night is the first Republican debate. In Milwaukee, eight Republican candidates will be on the stage. Uh, Donald Trump won't be. He's doing and he's already recorded an interview with Tucker. I hate impassionately Carlson. So that'll be airing tomorrow night. And I, I want um, I, I fully expect we're going to see a lot of ugly rhetoric tomorrow night. And I thought to help us prepare for that, I would have on the show tonight one of the great Oh, well, she's actually our friendly neighborhood debunker, but one of the great people who understands the language of the right and the extremism that they are spewing. Welcome back to Sirius XM Progress. Brooke Binkowski, how are you? Hi, can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you great. How okay, are you? cool. Just wanted, oh, I'm, uh, oh God, I don't know. You know, we just made it through a tropical storm here in Southern California, so I think we're okay. We managed to not get flooded out. Um, it, like it turns out, I mean, we did kind of get flooded out, but it turned out to not be quite as bad as we were worried it was going to be. We being, you know, San Diegans, uh, it looks like it didn't really do a lot of damage and anywhere it touched, which is great. Um, so we're damp, but we're drying out and, uh, relieved. And, uh, other than that, you know, I'm kind of freaking out because it's 2023, <laughs> the usual. The usual. I mean, it's 2023 and we have this debate tomorrow night. Uh, Brooke, I want to play a clip of something that um, Ron DeSantis said. Uh, he's been saying a lot lately, and, um, and we'll talk about it on the other side. Let's play the clip of DeSantis. So we are going to authorize the use of deadly force against the cartels. If you have somebody coming in with the fentanyl on their, in the backpack, they even break through the border wall where there is wall. Uh, if they're doing that, uh, that's the last thing they, they're going to be able to do because we're going to leave them stone cold dead at the border. We're not putting up with stone cold dead at the border if they have a backpack with fentanyl. What a loathsome. Go. Go for it. Can I swear? <laughs> can I? Yeah, you can Where, swear. It's your sex in progress. Okay. What a loathsome little chicken shit thing to say. Okay. I was a border reporter for 10 years. All right. I was in there in between Tijuana and Mexico or Tijuana and San Diego mostly, but you know, in the uh, sort of Western corner, you know, the Western border area. It, and first of all, that was where I started debunking because there are so many lies about the border. There's so much disinfo, so much misinfo, so much everything. And people like DeSantis are playing off exactly that. And this disinfo, by the way, is intimately related to all the corruption that we're seeing and all the, the lies that we're seeing everywhere. But this is just disgusting. First of all, you can't break through the border wall. It's made out of metal. So it's not like somebody's chipping away, you know, at the concrete, like some old timey, 
like jailbreaker. They're they're coming over and they what they do is they'll present themselves at the border or they'll try to sneak over like in the desert, which is extremely dangerous and very deadly. And so uh, his bloodthirstiness is as as loathsome and easy as it is wrong. I mean, we're going to don't get me started on the fentanyl stuff. The, the fentanyl propaganda has been driving us crazy at truth or fiction because we'll debunk it. We'll patiently debunk it. And we'll talk to experts and we'll put out another story. You know, everybody's doing this now. And then the cops will come out and they'll be like, I touched fentanyl and then I passed out and I vomited and I almost died. I pooped my pants or whatever. Right. And um, and then all the you know, the same people who we thought we like were on board with us will report this out without even checking to see if it's true. They'll be like another cop almost died, pooped his pants. You know, it's it's ridiculous to me to see this ball of disinformation being presented as fact. And that's kind of the goal of all the disinformation narratives na- that are being run around. Right. So that people like DeSantis can use them to, to gin up the sort of people who like blood, the sort of ghouls who like that sort of thing. These are like families for the most part. These are these are kids. These are you know parents who want a better life for their children. They're the kind of people who pick up and leave when things are getting bad because they want a better future because they're willing to work for it because they're willing to put themselves into grave danger for their children so that they can make things better for themselves. They are economic refugees. They are climate refugees. They are people who really legitimately just want a better world. And what do they get when they come here? When they come here and present themselves for asylum, they get people like DeSantis. They get people like Ted Cruz dressed in camouflage at the border, you know, protecting us all from the children, please. Anyway, sorry, that's a that's a big thing for me. That's a trigger right there because again, 10 years at the border, I talked to children who were who had been trafficked. I talked to to mothers who had been trafficked. I talked to to boys and men who had been trafficked and they they were trafficked for this sort of for the sexual and, and the labor and economic satisfaction of American rich people. So it's not like this is all happening in a vacuum. They're, oh, okay. Sorry. I should stop myself no, now because no, if I don't, no, no. just keep going. <laughs> no, no, no. This is, this is why I wanted to come on tonight, Brooke, because I knew, <laughs> I knew, you know, and I, I actually kind of thought that clip might trigger you a little bit in, 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 oh, yeah. in, the, in the most productive way. Um, <laughs> but no, it is it is interesting. You know, last night I actually had Kathleen Friedel on who has written about the drug war and we we're talking and she's talking about the misinformation about fentanyl and, the, and what none of them ever offer any solutions on how to deal with this, which it is a crisis in the country. So. This is DeSantis, right? And, you know, Trump really changed the way the the, um, Republicans talked about a lot of issues. He lied all the time. He was blatantly racist. And he would do it occasionally during the debate in 2015, 16. In 2020, he, of course, invoked the Proud Boys. But I kind of feel like it's even devolved even further in, in the rhetoric that we see from Republicans, whether it Certainly on immigration, uh, like DeSantis, the clip we just played, the LGBTQ community, the attacks on the queer community are just vicious and brutal. And uh, obviously the the attacks on women. And I feel like tomorrow night, it's all going to be front and center. It's probably going to be one of the most extreme performances on the American television that that we'll have ever seen you know i, I just oh, yeah. don't feel that way given their rhetoric and i just I'm interested in your thoughts on that and, and what you you think you're going to hear i mean these are people with little to no imagination they're they're not bright they don't have new ideas if they had new ideas they wouldn't be doing what they're doing you know pandering to the worst among us pandering to fascists being fascists themselves i mean if they were if they were inventive 
people with bright ideas, they wouldn't be circulating disinformation campaigns, right? And so, yeah, no, they're just going to get up on that stage. Well, I don't know what they're going to do. Maybe I'll be pleasantly surprised. But if history is precedent, which it is, um, they're going to get up there and they're going to, with the possible exception of Chris Christie, maybe they're just going to see who can be the most anti-American, anti-free speech uh, people they can be. I mean, what they do, the, the policies that they support, the things that they're saying are profoundly profoundly anti-American. They are attacking literal Americans. That is the literal definition of anti-Americanism. And yet they almost never get called out for this. They also are going out of their way to destroy free speech. They're censoring libraries. They're censoring schools. You know, they're, they're, they're using violence to ban books. I mean, that is, as you can probably see behind me, even though I've got it fuzzed. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. I'm not on video. Um, I've got books everywhere. It's basically, I'm not religious, but if I had a religion, it would be books, right? So when I'm hearing about these book bans, I'm just like, <gasps> it's like shocks me and hurts me to my core personally. But I mean, these are the people who are screaming about, oh, I will not comply. The government's trying to censor me. Meh. They're the ones trying to censor people. They're the ones literally carting books out. They're the ones trying to get people killed because of the things that they say. So I expect more of the same, more loathsome, cretinous, anti-American, pro-censorship, anti-human bullshit. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm expecting, you know, the bar's pretty low for me. If, if they get up there and they're like, you know what, I was wrong, I will be very pleasantly surprised. Uh, however, I think that the only thing that's going to improve this debate, uh, such as it is, the, this, this fascist off, uh, is somebody getting on stage and giving everybody wedgies, which if, if you get that idea, can you just give me a shout out when you're doing it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, one of the things, it was just a couple of days ago that I, I, I saw that, um, you know, we marked, you know, we all, I, I feel like we just mark all of, I don't like to call them anniversaries, but we mark these events that have happened in the recent past that have just been horrible events. And a couple, about a week ago, we marked what happened in Charlottesville when those white nationalists marched and Heather Heyer was killed. Trump said there were good people on both sides. And I think for many people, uh, Brooke, that might have been, I mean, not people like you who study this stuff or, be, you know, I, I worked on uh, progressive issues, so I, I kind of knew that world. Um, not, and, and, and for many people, watching those guys chanting, you will not replace us. Jews will not replace us. It was probably one of the first times they ever were exposed to the uh, great replacement theory and that kind of horrific rhetoric. And now it, that kind of stuff used to be in the far reaches of the um, dark web. I mean, or, or sites like VDare and places like that. Now. It's going to be on the stage tomorrow night. We see it from members of Congress who sit in their political campaigns on the Republican side. It's really been a really scary trajectory of how far that kind of extremism has become mainstream in the GOP. Yeah, and it's self-selecting. So the only people like that are trying to get into the GOP now. So this is what they've done to themselves, you know. And um, yeah, it's overtly eugenicist. It's an overtly... Uh, ethnic cleansing campaign. It's overtly, uh, well, they're genocide. I mean, not all of them, blah, 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 you know, but the ones who are the most obnoxious, the ones who are saying the most, they're saying genocide air stuff. You know, I mean, they are openly supporting 
things to, uh, you know, bring up the, the white birth rate, for example, or, well, the anti-immigration thing that started, that's, this is my, my life's work actually is exposing this. Um, they, they started, the people who started the anti-immigration movement as we know it in this country, um, were doing so in order to try to make eugenics and population control palatable to liberals. And so uh, John Tanton, that's the you know, the guy who started this whole, all these networks, like the Federation for American Immigration Reform, he has these letters that, that are out there, you can find them, where he's saying basically, yeah, we, we just need to work on like the population, we need to work on the excess population, but it was never excess white population, right? It never is. So it's always like the excess population of people I personally don't like, not me, but John Tanton. Um, I mean, yeah. I, I would be, I, I, if, if I was a eugenicist, which I'm not, I believe very much in people, you know, uh, uh, bettering themselves and, and realizing the error of their ways. But if I was, I would say, you know, billionaires, you know. <laughs> uh, but, um, oh my God, every time I say that now, I worry that there's somebody going to just like come knocking at my door, like, ma'am, you're going to have to come with me. <laughs> but seriously. So this is this is what we're talking about here. This is what we're up against. What they have been doing this whole time over the last seven or eight years of this, part of what they've been doing has been trying to mainstream eugenics. That was actually one of the goals and eugenicist campaigns, uh, such as, you know, border walls that are there to keep out a certain ethnicity or Jewish people who, you know, will not replace us. Anytime right. somebody starts fulminating about birthright, you know, they're or birthright, birth rate. Well, and I guess birthright to a certain extent, uh, right. you yeah. know yeah. what they're going to be talking about. Hmm? No, yeah, because both of those both of those issues are front and center. When they talk about the birth rate, they're worried about the birth rate of white people. And when they talk about birthright, they you know, which is in, in it's blood in, and soil in the Constitution. Um, right, right. And now they want to end birthright citizenship. Um, yeah, which yeah, it has gotten. You know, I, I keep thinking, I, I, I you know. Ten years ago, you know, if we were talking, if we were talking about this stuff, we would have been talking about someone like Representative Steve King from Iowa, right? And him being a white nationalist in Congress, he lost his election. But if he were still in Congress, he'd be like a punk. He wouldn't even be one of the worst. He'd be just like a regular member of Congress now, because so many of others have filled that role of being extremist and blatant about it. Yeah, it's it's really, really loathsome to watch. The one thing that I do see is that, you know, America is rejecting this for the most part. I mean, there's still 25 to 30 percent. Every population has like 25 percent that just wants to burn everything down. And I think what Facebook and its algorithmic like, you know, like digging around in our uh, personality data, I think what they did um, essentially was they didn't really like do anything. You know, they didn't uh, convince anybody of anything. But what they did was they joined all the white supremacists in the world together who were on Facebook <laughs> via, you know, algorithmic like groups and like creating groups. And uh, then it flooded them with sort of, you know, narratives saying basically like, buy guns, you're right to feel this way, you know. And that created a situation in which everybody feels like they need to one up one another. Um, but it's it's a self, it's also a self-selecting, like they can't recruit the way they think they can. Plus they keep killing off their constituents, right? Like these far right people are also anti-maskers and anti-vaxxers and we're still in a pandemic. So, I mean, I, I see this happening as well. So their messaging is getting more and more shrill and more and more desperate because they have fewer and fewer people. Younger Americans, again, for the most part, I'm speaking in broad brushstrokes. I know there's exceptions everywhere, but for the most part, if you look at the demographics of younger American of younger Americans and, and, and younger people around the world, 
they they grew up on the internet they they want to talk to people they want to you know have an open society where you can talk to one another where, where people aren't getting murdered just because of the, who they are and, and they're rejecting these messages so they're becoming more extreme because of that too they're like getting distilled right they're getting like uh the the the, the chaff is is getting like I don't know, killed off by their rhetoric, really. And so now we just have the really, really extreme people. And yeah, it's it's ugly. I, I'm really despondent some days about how they managed to get this far and, and managed to, to penetrate so deeply into all of our systems of power, you know, from 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 private to public, uh, public private partnerships and beyond. It's 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 gross. <laughs> it's so freaking gross. It, it really is. No, it is gross. And look, uh, Twitter slash X, whatever the hell it's called now, that's that's a classic example of, you know, a, 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 a place that, you know, tried at least under the previous ownership to limit hate speech and didn't wasn't always successful. But now it's just free season, open season oh, it's, it's there. And awful. it's horrible. It's truly and, disgusting over there. I was, I was actually talking about this because I grew up online. You know, I mean, online is my world. And I love it. I, yeah. I was a very early adopter in the 80s. I was, I've been online since then, since I was a little punk ass 10 year old, but I was like online, like, <laughs> hello, I am 30. <laughs> um, and I mean, you know, I, I was always kind of like this. I just really, really, really love online worlds and online spheres. And I love the weird people who are empowered by it, who who have been given voices, who who can't you know, for whatever reason, I won't be able to talk to in person or I wouldn't have met in person because our paths wouldn't have crossed otherwise. I loved all of that. I've always loved it. I loved the, the intellects. I loved the, the, the freaks, you know, and seeing it destroyed this way by by private individuals simply because they were born into money is or, or seeing them get reappropriated for horrible genocidal uses by people for money like Facebook and well, Twitter, you know, um, it's it's heartbreaking. I, I was talking about this online with some people and they were saying, yeah, it's like watching a bunch of Nazis break into your childhood home and like have a party and then burn it down. Right. It's I mean, that's what it feels yeah. like. And um, I've never fortunately been, a, been in a situation where Nazis broke into my childhood home and burned it down. But, yeah, it kind of does feel that way. It's like, how how were how they allowed to do this? This should never like these these media buyouts, by the way. I would like everybody listening to know that as somebody who has worked in media for all of my career, I worked in radio. I worked in radio for a long time and I went through and I worked in newspapers and I worked in television as well, but mostly radio because that was my big love. And, and then I went online because, you know, everybody did. Um, but uh, I've been through a lot of media buyouts. I went through the J-Core Clear Channel buyout. Uh, I went through some smaller buyouts. I've been at uh, newspapers and so on that have been bought out. And what we're seeing with Musk, that's exactly what it's like. We're just seeing the nitty gritty of it. This is what happens when some shitty person decides to buy a media outlet and use it for whatever he wants, just because he can. That infrastructure is there and he just abuses it for, you know, to elevate people like Cat Turd, too. <laughs> oh, I, I oh, he's blocked now. Oh, good. Yes, I thought he was doing away with has- Oh, man, I'm so bummed. Yeah. Wait a second. He's- I really wanted the blocking thing to go away. I was so stoked when I heard that. I was like, oh my God, there are so many people who really, I really need to tell to fuck themselves. Like I have so many people who have blocked me and um, now it looks like it's not gonna go through so I don't get to tell them again. I have so many insults stored up, but you know, I I think it's very important by the way. I know, maybe maybe some other social network. I think it's very important <laughs> to tell bad people terrible things because um, it ruins their morale over time. When you tell people directly, like bad authoritarians directly to shove it, 
and to laugh in their faces, it weakens them because they they can't be shamed. I mean, they're authoritarians, but it does lessen their power. And they can sense that when they become objects of mockery, they do not like it. They are narcissists. And when I say they, I mean, these far right, like online, you know, pundit types or the di big disinformation purveyors and nodes. Um, they are just people who you really need to insult, like right to their faces and they cannot handle it. So anyway, sorry, that was like three topics at once. <laughs> No, no, no. It was, it was good. It was good. And, and, and look, I, I mean, I think that that happens a lot when there's drag queen story hours and the Proud Boys show up and instead the queer community shows up in mass to fight them off. But of course, you know, the queer community is at risk and it's something, you know, you and your colleagues wrote about at Truth or Fiction, the horrible, horrible, horrible murder in um, California. Oh, it's just oh, so brutal. Awful. Uh, uh, Lori and Carlton. I mean, there is there is a body count associated with this kind of rhetoric. It happened yesterday. It's happened in Buffalo and in um, El Paso and in um, uh, the Tree of Life. That was all great replacement kind of rhetoric that led to that yeah. violence. And we're going to see it on the stage tomorrow night. Uh, Brooke, I I have to tell you, I um, I follow you. I follow you everywhere. I know you're on Twitter, Brooklyn Marie. You're on Blue Sky, and uh, I always feel like I learn when I follow you. Truthorfiction.com. Let me just ask you before you go, like what with all the craziness that is out there, we know we have a debate tomorrow night. What are the things you're most keeping your eye on over the next days and weeks when it comes to extremism world? Oh, thank you so much for asking. Um, okay. So a story just came out about Leonard Leo and an investigation that's been opened into him and his many nonprofits. That is the John Tanton Network by another name. That is the same exact anti-immigration network that has now expanded. They are the ones who are behind through through groups like uh, Heritage and other shell like groups that organize this stuff. They are responsible for uh, anti-CRT stuff, anti-transgender stuff, the anti-immigration stuff for sure, the anti-abortion stuff. Like they have been astroturfing this stuff all over the place. They have guides online on heritage action, action telling you who to call, like where to go, where to show up. They have signs you can print out and so on. It makes everything look completely, you know, organic, but it's not. It's the same like sad sacks who have nothing better to do. So they just go from cause to cause to cause because they hate people because they have no control over their own lives and because they want to control other people. Plus they're, they're weird and they like saying pedos and rumors a lot. I was just at a, uh, one of those um, drag queen story hours myself as a counter protester, which is kind of weird. You know, it's like, I started doing all this stuff um, because it's, it's good for building resilience. It's good for counter disinformation. I truly believe in it. And I believe it's important to stand up for all of us to stand up for each other. Um, and I saw the same, Freaking people here. This is in San Diego. I saw the same people show up at the Drag Queen Story Hour to protest it, who I saw at Chicano Park, which is a, a local park where all the racists hate it because it's called Chicano Park. And, you know, it's got a whole thing. It's got a whole history, whatever. Um, so I saw them at Chicano Park. I've seen them at anti-trans stuff. I've seen them at um, anti-queer stuff. I've seen them at anti-BLM stuff. They were out at the George Floyd stuff. Like, it's the same people time and again. And the sooner everybody realizes that, the sooner you realize how much smaller they are than they actually appear. They're not as powerful as they appear. So that's what I'm keeping my eye on, this, this investigation into Leo, Leonard Leo's network. What a ridiculous name. Um, and yeah, what and he's he is, doing he is, of course... Many people know him from the Federalist Society and the fact that he basically picked the Supreme Court, too. So and he's being investigated yeah. by the Washington, D.C. attorney general. Yeah, this is a big oh, sorry, story. Sorry, I should have said it, that. It, yeah. it, this is the patriarchy. No, 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 it's, it's fine. 
<laughs> when we talk yeah, about the patriarchy, it's, it's this. It's these rich old creeps with too much money, too much time. And then they're, they're helpmates, the, the, the loathsome people who support them, their allies and so on, because they want also control. They want control as well. Um, but yeah, so that's what I'm keeping my eye on, because I believe if this investigation goes anywhere, which I'm really hoping it does, I don't have my hopes way up because it's kind of like you're dealing with billions of dollars here. I mean, if, if Musk is still yeah. untouchable with all the shit he does, then definitely something to watch. I think it will it will bring out one. a lot of stuff. It's a big one. And the, and the D.C. attorney general, it, it sounds like they're going to be ruthless in this. And they need to be because they are up against ruthless people. Brooke Binkowski, Brooklyn Marie on Twitter, trutherfiction.com. Thank you so much. It's always great talking to you. I like your energy and your intensity. You keep us going and you keep us informed. And it's rough stuff you do, but we appreciate the work. Thank you. Thank you so much. And we'll talk again. We're going to take a break. Here on Tell Me Everything, we'll be back in just a few minutes. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting. But Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at Skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Extreme socialism, obviously, we'll all agree, communism doesn't work. Yeah. But extreme capitalism, as we're seeing right now, Does not with work. this corporate capitalism, also has its problems. How much money is too much money for one person? To it, it's a tough call. I know. When they yeah. have these yeah. billions, you're like, well, they really don't need it. Yeah, we agree with that. Why Trump instead of Bernie Sanders? What I look at is more progressives like the Bernie Sanders facts and stuff like yeah. that. We actually see a lot of the same problems. And I would vote for a Bernie Sanders before I'd vote for like a Ted Cruz or a Marco Rubio. What would it have taken for you guys? So <laughs> what you're listening to is a video, an interviews that our next guest, John Russell, conducted at a Trump rally. He did this in conjunction with More Perfect Union, a terrific organization. This video on YouTube has had over 2.1 million views. John Russell, welcome back to Sirius XM Progress, my friend. Hello, Joe. Hello, Sirius XM. Good to be here. So, John, your video, man, I have to say, you know, um, you know, that the title of it is uh, we went to a Trump rally. What you what we heard will shock you. And I was kind of shocked. I was kind of shocked. 
Um, so take a step back and talk about w- what you were thinking going into this, why you, you and More Perfect Union did this, and then we'll dig into some of the key findings and some of the stuff you heard. Yeah, I, I, I want to give credit to More Perfect Union here. Everybody in uh, that's listening should give them a look. Uh, we have a great team. I think this will become a series uh, me and the cameraman, Nehemiah Stark, uh, go out to these things and, and uh, get some interesting responses. But it started uh, because I work at a dive bar in the Rust Belt where I grew up. Um, actually moving bars right now, but for the past year, uh, it's been the dive bar that I lived above. Uh, the county where that is voted for Donald Trump by 71 percent. And I kind of wear my politics on my sleeve. And I am uh, you know, not only a liberal, I am a labor leftist. So those conversations uh, with you know, Trump supporters happened in my bar all the time in the presence of alcohol against common sense. Uh, but they went pretty well. So I took that hunch up to a Trump rally to see uh, how many people standing in line at your you know, average Trump event would be down with uh, a working class movement uh, to take on the 1%, and it turns out a lot of them are. Yeah, it really was fascinating. And, and it's interesting because, you know, over the years, John, we've seen so many kind of, I feel like DC or New York reporters parachute in to Ohio or, you know, somewhere else in the Midwest and act like they have talked to uh, the Trump voters and come away with some conclusions. But what was different about yours is, like you said, you know, it's not new to you. You weren't parachuting in. You like have these conversations every day. And um, mm-hmm. so while many of us were surprised, you weren't really, were you? No, I mean, you know, you, uh, the things that ended up in our video are different than a lot of the videos uh, of people interviewing folks at a Trump rally. I mean, usually it's kind of right. like, look at the zoo animals, right? Or pick out the craziest right. examples. And and no doubt, I mean, when you go out to these rallies, you're going to hear your fair share of crazy stuff. And it's the same in the bar. But if you really, if you let that vent off and then you really get down to brass tacks, how's your health care? How is your job? Uh, what are, you know, who, who is most responsible for the things that aren't going well in society? Is it really all of these scapegoats that we're being, you know, whispered to by billionaire-funded right-wing media, or uh, you know, is it a small group of the richest people that are kind of running the country for themselves? Once you get through the uh, crust of really intense opinions, uh, you you know, it didn't take long for us to find people at a Trump rally who said uh, that they don't want politicians taking the money from billionaires. That. Uh, you know, Halliburton was evil. A guy said that to us. Uh, and he knows because he was working for Halliburton in the gas fields in West Virginia. And he told us, I'm working on this gas pad, pulling double digit millions of dollars of gas out of the ground. And I'm taking home $13 an hour. Uh, we met somebody in line working for McDonald's, says he's working really hard. The company's making money. He's not. He wants to change it. He'd be down for organizing a union, he even wanted Trump to show up on a picket line. I mean, you know, there's, it was it was one Trump rally. These are a couple conversations. Uh, but the point was to show that a lot of people standing in line, if they had a compelling labor left alternative, uh, 
you know, they are they're they're down for more things than you think uh, that they are. And we we made sure to talk up the new labor organizing that's happening to inform people about the UPS contract win. And they're all for it. And I think there's a lot to work with. Yeah. And uh, just on that, the UPS, um, uh, the union did uh uh, ratify the contract today. 86.3% of them voted to ratify it. It's a terrific contra- contract, which you, you explained to folks at this rally. This was before it was ratified, but and it was really interesting. One, there were two companies, you, you mentioned Halliburton, but a couple of the people mentioned BlackRock and Vanguard as kind of like just evil, like like evil multi-multi-multi-billionaire yep. corporations. And it was really interesting because I thought, Oh, I, I hear that from my friends. And I was like, uh-huh. so, so what's going really on here? Interesting. Right? Yeah. Go, go ahead. Yeah. Talk a little bit more. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, right there, you know, we talked to somebody in line who's saying, hey, when uh, two companies are pushing around nearly $20 trillion of assets, do they have our best interest at heart? Or is this just about the bottom line? People on the left and the right know the answer there. And, um, you know, when they're figuring, when they're trying to figure out what to do, there's not a lot of good options, right? And I think that's part of the reason why they're in line at a Trump rally. I mean, you know, Donald Trump is not going to fix these things. We all know that. I mean, compare all of the things we just talked about that are surprising to hear from Trump voters. And then you think, well, why are you standing in line for this guy right now? Then, I mean, he handed out tax cuts to billionaires. The the billionaires paid a lower tax rate in 2018. Thank you, Donald Trump, uh, than the working class did. Right. But I think, you know, the lesson here is that Donald Trump is only as strong as his alternative is weak. Right. They're uh, the, the point of all of this was to show, especially when you're talking about the labor fights, you know, most people hadn't heard standing in this line about the UPS contract, you know, $30 billion that was secured by working class solidarity by hundreds of thousands of workers standing up to one of the richest uh, companies in the United States. You know, across all these things that people, you know, feel really squeezed by their wages, their health care their basic living expenses, all of those improved drastically by workers sticking together in the workplace, right? That didn't even make it out. That news didn't make it out to people in line because why would it? If that starts getting out there and people on the left and the right say, hey, if we get together and we fight the boss and we have to get over our differences and we have to respect the people who are in the same boat with us so that we can actually win something, that's the kind of idea that might really start to change our politics. And, you know, when people in line heard that, I, I mean, they're, they're, they're more than down for it. And I think that's kind of an interesting takeaway. You know, everybody kind of feels like the system's not working. The problems feel bigger than politics is able to grapple with. But here, instead of the political field, we are seeing real deliverable wins in the workplace. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of the things that we take for granted today, Social Security, Medicare, the weekend, the minimum wage, those were won because we had a base of organized labor power. So I'm hoping that that makes a comeback because there's definitely an appetite for it in places that you least expect. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, last night I was talking to um, Scott Paul from the Alliance for American Manufacturing, and we we were talking about, you know, the fact that uh, he mentioned that there's a school bluebird factory in Georgia makes going to be making electric school buses voted to unionize. And part of the reason they did was because of the new federal laws that said if you're going to get the federal money, you, you can't be fighting unions. And like that's a big deal in a state like Georgia, like that kind of thing is happening around the country. And I was struck repeatedly by, you know, some of the people who said, granted, and you, you know, you're fully upfront about it. It was a subsection of people that were willing to talk to you and having conversations. And it was really fascinating. But, you know, one of them was talking about how the working class has gotten beaten up. And, you know, I don't think anyone disputes that. And I think it started about 40 years ago under Ronald Reagan. And look, the top pretend a lot of Democrats played along with it. Um, you know, did that centrist uh, neoliberal bullshit for for decades. And, you know, Biden's trying to change it. But you realize just how much he's up against because some of this stuff is so entrenched, John. Oh, yeah. Well, centrist neoliberal bullshit is going to be my new back tat. <laughs> I think that's pretty good. <laughs> But it's what we have to uh, that's what we have to make a break with. I mean, centrist neoliberal bullshit. Right. I mean, uh, there you know, there are real opportunities here. And I want the Democrats to really win. Right. But there are a lot of opportunities to really show to make no bones about what side you're on. That's the old the age old question. Which side are you on? And a lot of these battery plants, you know, with more perfect union than the team there, I uh, you know, shed light on Altium, which. Uh, took over the old Lordstown plant uh, that used to make the Chevy Cruze, right? These companies, um, they're going to be uh, the industry of the future. Uh, if we have a hope of grappling with climate change, right? It's being invented before our very eyes. And uh, they're taking a lot of federal dollars to establish themselves. Uh, but Altium up in Lordstown is paying a starting wage of $16 an hour. You know, right there's an issue. Let's step in there and say, hey, this is not to the standard of the old union jobs that built the middle class and rebuilding the middle class is the order of the day. So we as the Democrats are going to stand here and say, uh, there's no doubt about who is on the side of the working class because we want to you know, raise these wages up if you're getting federal dollars. That's an opportunity right there uh, to fix our working class voter problem. And I want to see them do it. Yeah, I, I absolutely want to see them do it and be more aggressive about it. And yeah. You know, one of the other things somebody said is that, you know, there haven't been two sides since the 80s. And it really has. There are two sides, really. And it started in the 80s. There's the one percent who most of them were railing about, even though, again, Donald Trump fits into that category. I mean, it's really masterful what he's been able to pull off with a lot of these folks. Um, But, you know, and then there's the rest of us. And, you know, and, and there has become such a divide. And that, that is something, you know, um, John, that it's interesting. Um, you know, a lot of people ascribe, you know, look, there's no mistaking that a lot of these Republican candidates and Trump himself has been really vicious towards immigrants and other people of color and towards the queer community. Um, Republicans have made that front and center. But what's been interesting, too, to me is, you know, when on progressive issues in a state like yours, like 
what just happened on issue number one in Ohio. Mm -hmm. You know, a, a state that has gone red, become relatively reliable red, Republican governor, J.D. Vance won against Tim Ryan. And, you know, 5743 to save the democracy so that they can vote on abortion rights. You know, there is somewhere in that, you know, somewhere in that between that 57 and 43, there's a percentage of people who are open to progressive ideas, but just haven't made the shift to being Democrats. And it seems like that's what you're trying to help unlock. Yeah, you know, that is, that is what we're trying to help unlock. But, uh, you know, it requires... Um, you know, really redefining and getting away from the Democratic brand. And I want to say, you know, it's not it's not completely the Democrats fault that the brand is really bad, especially in states like where I live. I'm right on the border of Ohio and West Virginia. I mean, we've had a 50 year unanswered right wing propaganda campaign financed by billionaires and and, and precision engineered uh, to whisper things to the working class that get them to fight each other. I mean, it's the old divide and conquer thing. That's the only way that a small, you know, elite group of wealthy 1% people can, you know, exercise their will over a country of hundreds of millions, right? It's just divide and conquer. And we've had that and the brand is trash, but how do you get away from a trash brand? Rebrand yourself by, you know, taking a new stand, putting a new brand out there. And uh, what I really wanted to show uh, with these interviews is that across the political spectrum, you know, left, center, and right, if, if people are clocking into work because they have to work to survive, they are working class, and for the most part, they know, uh, you know, the, the, the people causing the problems, you know, up at the top, you might have to sort through a lot of uh, opinions that were put into their head by Fox News, but in their heart of hearts, they know that the rich and powerful are kind of pulling the strings here. And uh, there's a real appetite to uh, fix the problems that were created by this, you know, small, greedy group of all powerful people. And I think in there is the opportunity uh, to get back to what the Democratic Party was, uh, yeah. to, you know, be anti-establishment and labor left and uh, really remove all doubt about being on the side of the working class. Now this brings up, there's, you know, that was kind of the point of the video, but to cap it off, the best critique of this, right, is okay, that may, might be nice, you got surprising answers, but it's all gonna fall apart when race and gender come into it. Uh, but the point I try to make there is that the best way to solve, you know, homophobia or transphobia or, or racism, right, is to get people into the same boat with a shared goal, uh, with a common adversary, and diversity in the group. Because it's only then that it's sink or swim, and you start to realize that you need people that are different than you, and you have to respect their differences and, and, and honor their freedom to be different if you as a group is going to win. I think that is a lesson that you know, has, has played out in the past, and we should, we should get back to it. Yeah. And look, and that's where the divide and conquer comes in, because, they, you know, they, look, Republicans do. They place the race, play the race card. Trump has done it, talked about his border wall and gets his 
base riled up and they talk about the great replacement theory and all this kind of stuff. And DeSantis says he wants to, you know, shoot people with backpacks on the border. And it, it, it does play to look, there's a part of their base that that is, you know, that's their crack and they they want it. But I, I, I you know, I, I, can't, I have to think that there are others who understand They've been maybe they're being manipulated. I mean, when you you know, when you say the working class has gotten beaten up, it's working class is not just white. <laughs> working class is black oh, and no. brown and everything else. And, you know, a lot of queer people are in the working class. And mm-hmm. there's nothing that makes the oligarchs happier than having, you know, having the division in the fights between, you know, people, white working class thinking that they have to be, you know, fight with the black or the brown working class that the only winners there are the oligarchs and trying to figure that out as you said it's a challenge but you know and a lot of people have studied and done research on it and uh, heather mcgee's written a book about it some of us and it's really it 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 is a challenge but if we can if we can crack that code you know america's changed forever in a good way there's a story that I really love about this, and I forget the actual names of it, but there was a senator running, you know, Democratic senator running way back in the day in, in Minnesota, and he was at a parade, as the story goes. And uh, some guy in the crowd shouts out, hey, why are you always doing things things for poor people? And he turns around and goes, uh, you are a poor dummy. <laughs> you know, it's like we are all we have seen the middle class disappear. Right. Half of the country would be sunk by a surprise trip to the hospital. Uh, you know, the, the the purchasing power is flat. Our power through, you know, unions has eroded. We're all basically in the same boat here. And I think, you know, there's nothing to promote understanding and to heal uh, the culture war divide and um, to heal along race and gender lines. Uh, like being thrown together in the same boat and knowing that the only way you secure your freedom is to to protect uh, the freedom of, of other people. And, you know, down that path is um, that's something that sells to Trump supporters. It's something that started uh, on the left. And I think uh, it could stand to be a lot more prominent in our politics today. I, I, I agree. And it's it is something that, you know, just watching just watching the tactics and look, and I feel like Democrats have fallen into a trap, too, of appearing to be beholden to some corporate interests. And that has not worked out well. I mean, you know, last week up here in Maine, um, Jared Golden, the congressman from the Northern District, which is one of the poorest districts, big, big district, and it's not a wealthy district, got attacked for his opposition to student loans and uh, relief. And he wrote the nastiest statement, John. It was just this nasty, you know, the left and the Twitterati. And I thought, Jesus Christ, where did this come from? This is not, no one in Maine talks like this. Like, this Mm -hmm. is like DC kind of bullshit. And you look at Jared Golden's um, finance report, he gets money from BlackRock and Bain and no labels. And I'm like, dude, you that is not, <laughs> that's not what the second district congressman for Maine should be. And he has this whole folksy image. But it plays into that whole thing of like, I'm going to fight the left. And maybe he thinks he has to do it to win. But it's like, you know what? Those are people going to out, go out and work and um, knock doors for you. And, and we don't need to be dividing everyone. We need to figure out how to solve this because... Yep. Anyways, it's just one of those things. I was thinking about that as I was watching your video, too. Like, 
you know, e e even for Democrats, sometimes it's like, come on, you know, we're in this together and you don't need to be dividing up your own base, for Christ's sakes. And why hand why hand the Republicans ammunition by by buttying up to to corporate interests or BlackRock? I mean, if we're if we're if we are the party of the working class, throw them overboard. I mean, they're at, that they're at the cause of, uh, you know, the root of, of most of the problems. And Donald Trump, you know, may not be the brightest crayon in the box or in the jail. Who knows, you know, in the next couple of days. Uh, but, you know, J.D. Vance, I mean, just one in Ohio, if you dig into his East Palestine uh, testimony, they are going to make a, a real play uh, and it's working and not not just with working class whites, but they're gaining voters uh, in the working class across all races. They're making a real play for it. And it should be the easiest bluff to call. If they're really the party of the working class, then show up on a picket line, get rid of right to work laws, pass universal health care. This should be the easiest bluff to call for Republicans. So why hand them the ammunition of being close with BlackRock or Vanguard or any of the other corporate interests? Uh I couldn't agree more. And I think that showing up on the picket line is one of the most it, it, it's one of the most important things to, to do. And this has been a labor summer. We're seeing, you know, the um, writer strike and the actor strike out in Hollywood and, 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 and getting the inside story of just how screwed so many of those people are. And we saw what uh, the Teamsters did when they stuck together. UAW is going through some tough negotiations right now. and They're sticking together. It, it's really important. And. I, I love seeing it. And I do want to talk. I was actually going to ask you about East Palestine because you have covered it pretty closely. And you've mentioned, you know, you mentioned Senator J.D. Vance and he was going to do a rail safety bill. But then the lobbyists kind of got involved and he had to weaken it. What's the status on all of that right now um, going on to to because that that community was devastated. And you covered that one extensively, too. We talked about that after it happened, John. Yeah, I, it's important that people don't forget this. But, you know, un unfortunately, I think uh, this is playing out similar to other uh, industrial disasters. I mean, you know, take DuPont in Parkersburg, right? Years and years and years ago. I mean, this company manufactured a chemical. They knew it caused cancer. They dumped it everywhere. And now it's in the blood of 99.7% of people on Earth. DuPont is, you know, still in incredibly profitable, right? And they went through decades where slowly but surely uh, the memory faded, they got off the hook, they reincorporated, they're back in business. We are seeing that unfortunately play out um, in East Palestine right now. But just one thing to remember about this that came out, you know, four months after that disaster in the NTSB investigation is the temperature data on the cars. People should really remember this because. We were told that five cars of vinyl chloride, I mean, this is nearly a million pounds of a cancer-causing chemical. It was blown up, and we were told that that was because it was going to blow up on its own because the temperature in the cars were rising, so we had to blow it up, right? Well, we got data that showed that the temperature was not rising, that the cars were stabilizing, and that one car was, you know, we're talking about one, one car is about 177,000 pounds of product, nearly a million pounds were blown up. And right at the last minute, four extra cars of this stuff, almost 200,000 pounds a piece were added into this equation and blown up. And those cars were never heated. 
they were stabilized. One of the pressure relief devices was working, right? So we still are owed a lot of answers by Norfolk Southern. They're betting that the memory is going to fade and that they go the route of DuPont and business continues on as usual. Uh, but everybody, you know, it's a good time to uh, remember that and to study up on, on the news coming out of East Palestine. Absolutely. Really important. And I'm glad that you covered it. I'm glad, I, John, you teaming up with more perfect union is like this is this gives me joy because i love more perfect union um i've had jordan sakar on, on as a guest many many times a terrific guy and the work they do and the coverage they provide is really essential as it is for you you're at the holler the holler.co uh, i encourage folks subscribe to it because you get coverage that you need have about working class issues and um, from a very liberal uh, labor left perspective, a very important one. John Rosso, it's always great to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Joe. Always good coming on your show. And we'll talk again soon, I hope. I'm going to take a break. Back in just a few. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This is Tell Me Everything. I'm Joe Sudbay, guest hosting. And I love it when I get to talk to Dr. Tracy Pearson, JD, legal analyst, consultant. You hear her on this show. You see her on TV, radio, podcasts. And I, I'm really excited because we have a lot to talk about tonight, Tracy. First, how are you? Hey, Joe, it is wonderful to be here with you. It is so much fun talking with you, and I'm, I'm glad to see you back guest hosting. Well, I appreciate it. And just talking to Stephen in Kentucky, tough act to follow because Stephen always covers some great territory, and I, I just love talking to him. And oh, I, I, I know you get to Stephen. listen. And, isn't he great? I miss <laughs> Stephen. Oh, my God. Oh, Stephen, how are you out there? I'm sorry I didn't get to chat with you. Oh, it's so. just... just uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, first, Tracy, um, my fellow New Englander, uh, yes. we're going to make a special mention. Um, there is a special election in New Hampshire on September 19th for the state legislature. Hal Rafter, he's running in um, uh, District 1, R Rockingham. You know, there's 400 state legislators. But the thing about this one, Tracy, if he wins, Democrats can actually take control of the House. So it's a really big race, September 19th. And I thought, you know what? Tracy's coming on. We're going to do a New Hampshire plug. Hal Rafter, I interviewed him on State of the States last week. He's terrific. So we got that. We got it. We got to do that business first. OK, <laughs> I, I well, And I, I love, you know, my, my home state. I consider it my home state. I, I was born in Maine, raised in New Hampshire and lived there most of my life, except for when I dashed off to law school and um, when I dashed off to Los Angeles. And I have to say it, it is a unique legislature because it is is I think it's the largest in the country and they pay them yeah. like fifty dollars a year to do it. It's it's it, unreal. It's, it's unreal. It, it's it, and there are 400. Like when I was talking to Hal, he said, you know, quite often if you're in a group of five or six people, um, there's a good chance one of them has been a legislator in the past. It's <laughs> but but again, this is a real it's a special election. Uh, and My late father-in-law was. 
my late father yeah, okay. uh, father-in-law was so so i i totally you know he, and he he wasn't of my party but um he, and he was in forever and it's one of those things where you're in for a very long time uh if you if you do it and and people like you yeah. um yeah. so yeah, yeah. And, and and democrats could actually take control of that legislature and that that was one of those states last year that republicans are supposed to do major pickups um, because they had redistricted and gerrymandered and it was going to be a red wave and didn't happen. And now Democrats are on the verge if um, Hal can win uh, of taking control. So had to, had to get that in. Um, but we have so many other things I want to talk about. Um, where do we start? Let's start with the debate tomorrow night. Um, we have a debate and then we have uh uh, someone who's not going to the debate, who's going to be interviewed by someone who hates him passionately. Uh, and <laughs> just like, you can't make this up. I mean, there's going to be eight Republicans on the stage and Donald Trump with Tucker. I mean, it, it's going to be... Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those things where you're choosing between two horrible experiences. Which one do you choose? And... I can't say that he's choosing the right one for for politics, yeah. but he's certainly choosing, I think, the right one for legal reasons. Uh, he is in far more jeopardy being on stage because he can't control his face in the same way that that he can control it when he's in an interview and they can cut to a commercial. And and he's you know, there, there's there's some he can get up and walk away there with very little risk. Frankly, um, he could gain some points for getting up and walking away as opposed to being on stage with a bunch of people who are gunning for you and running away like a little boy. Yeah. And apparently this interview has already been recorded. And, you know, Tucker needs it because Tucker's star has fallen so far since he got canned by Fox News. So he's it's a it's it's so classic um, Trump to use someone who's using him at the same time. It's like a mutual use. And they kind of deserve each other, really, Tucker and Trump. I mean, well, see, I hadn't heard it have... was pre-recorded. So even better well, yeah, for they've... him legally that, that right? it's pre-recorded because they can stop tape and they can they can, you know, redirect him. And, you know, who knows if that actually happened. But it is just, you know, I've talked to John about this a lot. And it's it's one of these things where if yeah, you know, I I wouldn't be his lawyer for all of the money in the world that you could find, and for many reasons. But uh, most importantly, he's uncontrollable. Uncontrollable, and you're not really sure you're going to get paid. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, that would be like, a condition. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, it should be a condition, it, it, but man, I, look. Apparently, he's trying. He's going to do a fundraiser at Bedminster now to raise money for Rudy's legal defense fund because he doesn't want to pay Rudy out of the pack. He wants to get some other money for Rudy. And the other thing is about you know Trump's legal fees. And I like to point it out. He's not paying them himself. I mean, he's always telling us he's a billionaire. He's paying it through the pack. And these are people who give five, ten, fifteen dollars a month, and I guess that's what they're happy to do. But a lot of them, you know, can't afford it, or or it's coming out of their retirement. But they they choose it, as my grandmother would have said. They my, she used to always to say they choose it, and they're choosing it. But, and but think I about mean, it. The but same, it's just, yeah, I mean, think about that right. in the same way, you know, as. It's like, you know, the, the, the Bernie Madoffs and, and those types of people where you've yep. got people who are investing their, their retirements 
in in these shysters and and then you know we see them on some you know feature story on msnbc or cnn or something like that where it's like you know well i i didn't think that he was going to be this dishonest you know it's like okay you know this that was a pyramid scheme this is no different this is people who who you know not they're not listening i really hope they would listen but but they it, to us uh, even just for a second which is that you're giving this guy your money what do you think he's doing with it He's not going to help you with it. No, no, he's not going to help you with it. He's never helped you. But for some reason, they're they're in the cult. And it was just interesting. In the last hour, I talked to John Russell, who was interviewing some Trump supporters at a, a rally. And so many of them were they were bitching about the same things we bitch about, you know, the oligarchs and all this other stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> John's like, but you're supporting one and 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 there there's a disconnect there they just they 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 don't really consider him like blackrock and and the other um uh oligarchs but he is one he really is he just has a different approach apparently they're um, voting for his personality oh, they're voting for yeah, his personality yeah. and and for for this belief that that they can aspire to be him which is sort of sad. I mean, when you look at back yeah. in the presidencies, you know, that we've seen, you know, John F. Kennedy, a great president, but also a a womanizer, um, somebody mm-hmm. who didn't didn't disclose all of his medical conditions prior to, um, you know, running for office and was in a terrible amount of pain and on a lot of steroids during the course of his sh- short presidency. Um, it, you know, when you look back at the various presidencies, you you see, um, you know, people who who when we're younger, we look at them and we aspire like we aspire to be these great people. And then when you get older, you start to delve into their backgrounds and you're like, oh, OK. And and I think that that for many of us, our eyes are even wider now, given this experience. If this if this experience does nothing for us, I hope that what it does is for the vast majority of people who are sentient and thinking and critical thinkers, that they will really start to to analyze things more closely. I hope so. I hope so. Um, one thing we can analyze tonight uh, are some uh, mugshots are starting to show up from uh, Fulton County, John Eastman's uh mugshot is all over Twitter right now and um, a lot going on down there in Fulton County. I'm intrigued by the Mark Meadows play, trying to get his case removed, trying to delay and, you know, like Fanny, Fanny, Fanny Willis's, um, you know, her, her letter, I am not granting any extensions. I gave Two weeks for people to surrender to the court. Your client is no different than any other criminal defendant in this jurisdiction. Inject that into my veins, Fonnie Willis. <laughs> <laughs> I, I yesterday I put out a TikTok on um, uh, how much I, I love Fonnie Willis and 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 that we should always, always, always be kind to black women because they are brilliant and uh, they give no f's. Because not only were the bail conditions like like birds singing in the air, but they this this type of letter, which basically says, yeah, go fish. 
um, and replace <laughs> fish with whatever you like, um, you know, is 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 exactly what we need to be seeing, which is you're not going to get special treatment. And when I read this motion, I was like, oh, for God's sakes, another one that is being wagged, another lawyer that is being wagged by the client. You know, just get your butt down to Fulton County because the case has got to start with your your surrender. And and then you can do whatever little motiony things that you want. He doesn't want to either. He doesn't have the money or he doesn't want to comply. I don't the deal is but but just get your butt down there because two other guys have done it so far at least and and i just don't i don't get it and he certainly he, he, the basis for his motion is is just it is it is asinine in that he he absolutely there is no causal connection between his conduct and um and his office as chief of staff and uh, other than that was the role he was occupying when he went and he did the conduct it wasn't part of his job he was working on behalf of the campaign doing whatever he was doing which included if i recall sitting on the couch texting and saying uh yeah i don't know i don't know he doesn't want to do anything i don't know i mean he wasn't doing much and then you know when it comes to to his duty to enforce federal law i'm pretty darn freaking sure that violating the constitution and or trying to violate the constitution on behalf of the loser is not part of his job description i don't know well you'd like to think that right tracy but it's amazing how many of these defendants and republicans kind of seem to think it was now what, what, what intrigues me about um meadows is you know we got some information yesterday via abc news that he's been talking to the special counsel told the special counsel he knew there was he didn't know there was there, he, he never heard of a standing order to declassify documents so that rebuts trump um he said that um he offered to help go through the boxes trump wouldn't let him and then he also, his ghostwriter, uh, included a passage in his book that had to be taken out. But it was basically, yeah, there was an Iran document right there. The ghostwriter saw it. So Mark Meadows, I don't know if we call this cooperating. I think people are trying to figure out, is he singing? Um, and is this part of the shenanigans he's trying to pull down in Georgia? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Um. <clears throat> Okay, my, my gut reaction to that is that if he were cooperating with the special counsel in an official arrangement, conversations would happen behind the scenes with Fonnie Willis um, and potentially to facilitate something. Um, now, that said, Jack Smith is, is a, a special breed of prosecutor in that he, he has spent his life fighting corruption. Um, and I, he believes very much based on everything that I've read about him, everything he said, um, in sort of the separation of powers, everybody doing what their job is not, you know, it, he would be corrupting the Georgia process if, if he asserted himself in any way in that, um, to try to, to manifest some sort of protective, you know, bubble around meadows. Um, mm -hmm. the fact is, is that, Fonnie Willis has has been able to obtain indictments through a grand jury against a whole lot of people, and they have to deal with the consequences of their conduct if it's if the if their conduct happened and if their conduct violates the law, and that's up for a jury to decide. 
So I, I don't think that Jack Smith would insert himself in the Georgia process. And I think that he, he will allow it to play out the way it is. Um, I think that frightens the bejesus out of Meadows because obviously he's thrown him, assuming this is true, he's thrown himself down in front of the special counsel saying, hey, I'll give it up. I'll, 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 I'll do whatever you need me to do. And assuming that's true. And, and he is, you know, now he has another prosecutor going after him and he's extraordinarily exposed there um, for, for a, a very large sentence that will put him in a state prison system, which is not good. Um, and so I think that, that, that he, what I read when I read this motion and I read what's going on here is I read somebody who is petrified. I mean, this is the type of motion you do not file. You do not file. It sounds desperate, yeah. begging, pleading. It is. It is not cogent. It is not based in law. It is not. You know. It is basically. Um, yeah. You know how you have two sovereigns, judge in federal court. We have two sovereigns. We have a state sovereign and a federal sovereign. We would just want you to ignore that. And what we'd like you to do is just sort of run everything so that we don't have to deal with the consequences in Georgia. Are you okay with that? Can you please help us immediately? And can we have an answer by five o'clock? Um, yeah. yeah. No, that's <laughs> desperate. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it, it feels that way. And I actually think, you know, apparently Giuliani's going to go um, turn himself in tomorrow, which tomorrow's Wednesday, and then Trump's going to do it Thursday evening. I think they're all genuinely shocked that Fannie Willis has um, in, indicted them all. I, I really thought, you know, think some, you know, Trump's had multiple indictments, but some of the others haven't. I think they're all, you know, Eastman today saying he was, you know, after he was arrested and he said, he definitely thinks the election is stolen. He still thinks the election is stolen. And apparently Rudy Giuliani has some new scientific information that's going to show the election was stolen. And I was like, Jesus Christ, these guys, like they're they're in big trouble right now, and they're still they're still going. Okay, have, and, have at and, it. And uh, and they're. Handing her evidence with those statements. There's a, you know, you're a lawyer. There's a reason why you you say shut up at all opportunities. Yeah. Shut up to your client. And I, I, I think that, um, I do think that 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 I don't know if it's so much surprise as much as it's sort of the shit is hitting the fan, and they can't. Mm -hmm. You can't. You can't control the state courts in the same way that, that Trump has been sort of demonizing and trying to control the federal system. The federal system is a much different system. And the state courts maintain such autonomy and such different procedures. And they're, you know, these folks are elected and um, they they do this in in uh in a an incredible sort of what i would call um quantity or volume of cases like vonnie willis she gives no f's she doesn't mess around yeah. glenn kushner says that judge chutkin in the federal system uh she don't play neither does vonnie willis and and she knows this statute she knows what she's doing they do this every day and and this is their job and and they don't just that the quantity and volume and speed with which the state courts work in comparison to the federal system is like whiplash to these people. Yeah, it really, it really is. And it, it, it is, it's a, it's a different system. And 
boy, it is, it's just, I, I'm just, first of all, again, let's just, let's just do another moment of praise for Fonnie Willis. And <laughs> as she is. And she, she, she's not playing. And I swear that I read that letter that she wrote like 15 times. Two yes. weeks was a tremendous courtesy. At 12.30 p.m. on Friday, I shall file warrants in the system. <laughs> like, dude, get your guy down here or he's going to be arrested. Like, she's not playing. Don't get on a plane, she, right? You know? Like, don't don't <laughs> yeah. get on a plane after I put these warrants in the system because they're going to get you. Um, you know, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's the case, man. Don't be getting caught speeding because I'm going to get you. And, and you know, so they're going to run your license and you're going to get in trouble. Um, I, and, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll extradite you. We don't care. Um, you know, I, I think that, that it is just asinine to me. And, and I really truly thought that Trump was, was the one that was going to be sort of in, in jeopardy when it came to the consented bail conditions, but it turns out, you know, they, they basically accepted it. And because I thought he would, he would absolutely balk at it. Um, and that would be what what finally did him in because he couldn't come to an agreement and he would either have to turn himself in or he he would have to get picked up and he would be held pending pending a hearing. And that's you have to enter into a consent on bail conditions prior to a surrender, um, you know, as opposed to an arrest. This is a surrender, technically. And if you don't, then what happens is the, is the, the police say, thank you for coming. We appreciate it. Show us your arms and put you in handcuffs and put you in a cell and say, well, you know, you can go see the judge when when your arraignment hearing is, um, you know, within 24, 48, 72 hours, whatever it is down there. Um so I really did think it was going to be Trump that was going to be the, the problem. But but Meadows is setting himself up for a really ugly, ugly experience. And I think at the end of the day, unless unless the federal court does something wonky, he's he's going to cave because he's going to have to unless he doesn't intend to do anything but sit in his living room and wait for the knock to come. It, well, the other one he's gonna who's get trying up. to f- the finagle is uh, Jeff Clark, who you know, the guy who thought he was a, a acting attorney general for a few days back in early 2021. The environmental lawyer, um, yes. Right. <laughs> and, and he's asked for an emergency stay. He doesn't want to be processed. He And uh, it was interesting. I was reading a column by Lisa Rubin from MSNBC today. She said she was starting to wonder, maybe he doesn't have any money because all this stuff is starting to add up. And, and it's something, you know, these lawyers in Trump world need lawyers. It's like lawyers upon lawyers upon lawyers. And there's just a small pool of people who want to work with these clowns. It's, it, it, it's really interesting and it's expensive. Well, and it's not long lived because what we see down in, in the Florida case is Walt Nana and having to um, and, and I think Dale Oliveira, um, uh, you know, there's there's likely going to be a Garcia hearing. Um, and what's going to happen is the court is going to have to determine whether Woodman, who is the attorney, I think it's Woodman, um, is the attorney. Um, he whether he has a conflict of interest and when you read jack smith's pleading it just is extraordinary it's just like oh my god 
How can you like, why are you doing this? This is so mobbed up like no reasonable attorney would be doing this. No reasonable lawyer would be subjecting their career to this. There has to be a reason why they're doing it. It must be because the consequences of not doing it is greater in their mind, which is unreasonable in itself. Nobody is worth your license, right? Right, right. It's pretty wild. Um, you know what? Just just for a second, can you explain what a Garcia hearing is? Because we're seeing that terminology a lot and it's an inside legal kind of term. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. I don't um, even know what it is. <laughs> a Garcia hearing, it's it's every every type of hearing like this is it comes from a um a, uh, a case from from usually from the United States Supreme Court, and and as is the case here, and um, what it is is it's a, a a motion, a Garcia motion, is brought by the prosecutors um, to make sure that the uh, defendant um, is has the opportunity to consult with independent counsel about a conflict of interest that may impact him or her in the case. So the fact pattern here, it's easier when you talk in terms of fact patterns, is that um, is that uh, Woodman represented a witness up in the D.C. grand jury um, and that witness uh, allegedly told a lie. And then when uh, a Garcia hearing occurred up in that proceeding um, brought by Jack Smith, um, the witness flipped and, and fired Woodman, flipped and has now the first assistant uh, federal public defender as their attorney. Um, he, here, uh, Woodman is representing uh, the the other defendants in, in this Mar-a-Lago case. And so that witness will ultimately testify in the Mar-a-Lago trial, uh, according to Jack Smith. And so uh, Woodman will be cross-examining his own former client that he has gained information from through the course of his representation and therefore the duty of loyalty that an, a lawyer owes a client will be in jeopardy. Um, he'll be attacked by his own lawyer, basically. And so what is supposed to happen during this hearing is that the court is supposed to ascertain those facts um, and then have independent counsel there able to sit down with the defendants to explain to them the conflict of interest and to explain the consequences if if they waive the conflict of interest, if it's waivable. Sometimes it's not even waivable. And I haven't analyzed that wow. issue, but this seems like it's not waivable. Um, and the reason why the courts do this is is sort of twofold. One is the court has an interest in protecting the process. Um, and so a defendant has rights. And we want to make sure that people aren't screwing around with that. But the government, the people, the government represents us, remember. So the people have an interest in whatever the conviction, assuming it's a conviction, sticks. And so if there were a conflict of interest in this proceeding, it would end up going uh, up to an appeal and potentially getting flipped and and sort of destabilizing this process, which means that victims the people um, have to go through this process again. And 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 it, it, it's 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 important to make sure that convictions are are obtained fairly and and consistent with the rules of law and, and that they aren't um, obtained through corruption. And and so um, 
the and the the motion points this out to the judge down in florida um it's written really well if people can get their hands on it they should i could probably post it on 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 twitter but um it is it is really well written and it's it's a very important process um in the defense system when you have lawyers that are basically representing lots of people it, it, it's fascinating it, it, i i was able to um read it and i it, it, that is one thing i will say um tracy is i have felt that everything uh jack smith has presented has filed um I, I mean, i'm a lawyer but i'm not like a real one <laughs> but i find them incredible but i find them very readable i encourage people to read what he has written because i think we learn just as we have learned from our conversation tonight i mean that was a master class that you just taught that any law student would benefit from from the conversation we just had about the garcia motion and there's so many other things i'd like to talk to you about tracy but my god we've got for like half an hour and it has been fascinating always is you're on twitter at Tracy Explains. Are you anywhere else these days? I, I know I'm, you're on TikTok, but where else are I'm you? I'm on TikTok. I'm on Instagram. I'm on uh, Threads. I'm on uh, LinkedIn. I have a Substack, Dr. Tracy Explains. If people have a question that they want an answer to, I encourage them to either send me a tweet or send me a message or um, jump onto my website, Tracy Explains, send me a message. And I, um, I write, so I am happy to explain things to people. That's what I do. You just heard, and you heard Tracy explain tonight, and I appreciate it. It's always great to talk to you, Tracy Pearson. Uh, thanks for joining us tonight. Thank you so much, Joe. Okay, we'll, we'll talk again soon, I hope. My name's Joe Sudbay. I'll be back with you tomorrow night here on Tell Me Everything. Tell me everything.